The Lord allows Moses to see the promised land from a mountaintop before he dies. When the period of mourning ends, Joshua becomes a people's new leader. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. To lead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it in your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Bethpur, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands upon him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there been a, a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants in his entire land for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm appointed for today is Psalm 90, verses 1 through 6, followed by verses 13 through 17. It begins on page 3 in your worship leaflet. Please stand if you're able.
calls his zeal and perseverance in proclaiming the gospel to new disciples. Because they are dear to him, he was able to endure even in the face of persecution. A reading from the lesson of the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of our great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise for mortals whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children, so deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them said, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. You sort of have to feel sorry for Moses. He puts up with this people all the way through the desert. We've heard stories about them whining that there was no bread, that there was no water, um, that they wanted to go back to Egypt. And he carries them through the desert all these 40 years and then does not get to enter the promised land with them. We got to joking at our lectionary group that he was really kind of sick of them and worked this deal out with God. You give them to Joshua now, let him take care of them, I'm done. 
But he gets to the top of the mountain and looks over into the promised land and sees the extent of it, knowing that that um, is where they're headed. The book of Deuteronomy purports to be his last speech. And boy, what a long speech it is. It goes on for 25, 26 chapters, giving them instruction about what to do when they enter the promised land. And he says over and over and over again, if you obey the commands of God, God will bless you in the land and you will stay there for a long time. But if you should not keep the commands of God, God will punish you, chastise you by the rod of men. And then if you really mess up, God will kick you out of the land just like God is going to kick out the people who are already there. The book of Deuteronomy, in fact, is written at a time after the northern kingdom had fallen, the kingdom of Israel, and the priests from the northern kingdom came down south to Jerusalem. And Josiah began a reform, tried to reform the religion. The Assyrian Empire, which had um, conquered the north, was beginning to weaken, and he thought, maybe we can push back into that region again. And so he is cleaning out the temple, and lo and behold, discovers the book of the law, um, which is Deuteronomy, um, probably written by northern priests, um, saying how it is that we're supposed to be. And then he can say, and this is why... It happened in the northern kingdom. See, they messed up. It was their own fault. And if we're not careful, if we don't reform, it will happen to us. So this passage about Moses looking into the promised land, and if you get out your map and compare the geography, what he's seeing is the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom, is very ironic. Uh, Moses is looking over, seeing what land they're about to enter, and if they obey all these laws, they will stay in it. And from Josiah's point of view, looking backwards into the land that had been and saying, oops, we messed up, that's why we didn't keep it. Of course, whenever I hear this passage, I think of Martin Luther King's last speech in Memphis um, the night before he was assassinated. He says to the trash haulers, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you all, but that's okay with me now. And then the next day, of course, he was assassinated. Moses catches a glimpse, sees what it is that God has in mind, and then as soon as Joshua and the people cross into it, they try and take it on to their own terms, do it in their own way, and make a mess of it. I think Jesus is making essentially the same point in his teaching about the greatest law. Last week we heard him um, in a dialogue with the Pharisees, is it lawful to pay tax to the emperor or not? He says, give me a coin, and they give him a coin, and he says, whose image is that? Caesar's. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. They're asking, is it okay to resist Rome? And he says, no, you've got it wrong. We can resist Rome, but not by refusing to pay taxes, not by political means. Then, if we're not supposed to resist Rome, the question is, how do we live? What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Remember who the real king is and your neighbor as yourself. And then he asks them a question. Whose son is the Messiah? They say, son of David. They're expecting a political solution to their problems. And he says, how is it then 
that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord. No, he's not David's son. He's the Son of God. Don't expect a political solution to your problems. Whenever we try and solve it, we make a mess of it. We're in the second week now of reading through Unbinding Your Heart and the small groups and prayer, and hopefully you've read the second chapter. Don't worry if you haven't. Um, Martha Grace Reese tells a story in that second chapter about the Benton Street Church. They decided they wanted to do evangelism, and so they got together a group of four people and asked her for advice. What should we do? And she said, for three months, do nothing but pray. And they said, what? Um, They were doers like we are. They wanted the task. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. Pray. So for three months they prayed. And as she tells the story, at the end of that three months, boy, they had the energy. They were out there. They were doing all kinds of things. Six months later, she comes back and says, how's it going? And they tell her all the wonderful things they've done. And she says, how's the prayer? Oops, we sort of forgot to pray. We can often treat our prayer like this bargain with God. You give us a task, and we'll give you a task. You know, you bring people to us, and and we'll make sure they're welcome. She tells another story. I was at a conference with her, and she told another story about a church in Aspen, Colorado. When I lived in Colorado and was younger, Aspen was a real hippie town. Um, You could go there and get a meal for a couple of bucks. Now, of course, you can't afford to even drive through the town. But there was an Episcopal church, there is an Episcopal church in Aspen, and they decided they wanted to do evangelism, and they put together a group of people, and the way she described it, it was all white-haired old ladies, um, to pray. The congregation was aging, Um, they were all well-to-do, but aging, and they decided to pray about who it was that God intended for them to evangelize, to carry the good news to. And so they prayed, and they prayed, and would report to the vestry, And it finally dawned on them that who they were supposed to be welcoming was youth. So the vestry, having lots of money, hired a youth pastor. Not a teenager in the church, but they hired a youth pastor. So there was nothing for him to do at church. He would go sit at Starbucks all day, write his sermons at Starbucks, and kind of wonder what he was doing there. And one day, cold winter day, this real scruffy kid came up to him and out of the blue said, Do you do funerals? Uh, yeah. What's the story? He had the kids sit down with him. Aspen, for all of its wealth, has this kind of underbelly. Lots of runaways go there um, because of the drug uh, industry there. And um, it turned out that one of these street kids had died, and his parents had taken the body back to Michigan before his group of friends had had a chance to say goodbye. So they wanted to do a memorial service. So the youth pastor goes back to the church and tells the white-haired old ladies they want to do a memorial service for a kid. Oh boy, this is what we've been praying for. The the ladies get the parlor ready. They put M&Ms out in bowls and bake cookies and get it all ready, thinking maybe 20 kids are going to come for this memorial service. 70 kids show up, all scruffy like the first one. They have the memorial service. They have the the reception in the parlor afterwards. They get to talking with the kids, these white-haired old rich ladies talking with scruffy kids. Um, Decide that they'll begin a service for these kids every Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. The women bake the cookies. They come back for this service. And before you know it, they have a youth ministry. Now, a year before this started, before they started praying, they wouldn't have looked twice at those kids. 
And they'll admit that they wouldn't have looked twice at those kids. So prayer is not us saying to God, you do this, and then we'll grow. It's opening our eyes to what God would have us do. Here these kids were all along. They had just never seen them. It's like Moses on the mountaintop. If we don't take a minute to pray, we won't see the vista God has in mind. And the minute we try and make it our own doing, we mess it up just like Joshua and the kings after him messed it up. So in your service leaflet, you will find perhaps a blue, perhaps a white, three-by-five card. <clears throat> the purpose of this card, people are saying, oops, I've already used it. Um, don't worry, you can get another one. The purpose of this card, and you don't have to fill it out right now, um, but think about... In in one of the prayer exercises, she had us pray for the kids in the parish, go through the directory and see the kids, um, and just kind of pray by name for the kids or whatever. Think about who it is in your life that God would have us invite here. If it's somebody specific, write down the name. If it's a category of people, like youth, for instance, um, write that down. I've moved the Advent Live prayer wall in here, and I had tried it one place and another, and somebody finally put it there, and that's perfect. When you've written on that card, slip it in one of the pockets on that wall. We're not going to read it out loud like the cards you put on the altar, but it's a reminder to you. Or if you prefer, carry it around with you during the week and during the rest of these four weeks that we've got left of this six weeks. And pray about who it is that God would have us Invite here. And then, like Moses, after we've spent some time praying and looking over into what God has in mind, we'll see it from God's point of view, not ours. We won't be so busy doing, but when the moment is right, we'll know it. Amen.